telling you that the door's swinging open and there's opportunity for, I'm talking insane victory in, in any realm of life that you want it. We're, we're stepping into it. I think you ought to be clapping. You ought to get excited. God's, God's going to do some major crazy stuff. And, uh, and one of the things I love about God is, number one, he's not a man that he should lie. He ain't lying. Okay? He's not lying. And no word from God will ever fail. So you, you, you want to get after it, okay? And I'm not talking about speed reading through the Bible. I'm talking about getting very familiar with, with some scripture, okay? Just start one at a time, get very familiar with it, and get ready. And, and just equip yourself because uh, you're, you're, you're on a head-on collision with victory, Man, I'm telling you. I know that God's about ready to mess you up. And some of you need it. (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't it just be wouldn't it just be like God if he just went ahead? And did some awesome stuff, regardless of the stupid stuff you've done. Yeah. Hey. Okay, maybe it isn't you, but that guy sitting next to you has done some stupid stuff. (laughs) God's not intimidated. He's not intimidated by any of that. But he's, he's wanting his word to come alive, okay? Okay, listen, I don't know what chair. We've been talking about these chairs for a while, and I don't know what chair. And, and you know, it is not a, uh, there is not, it's, it's not a judgmental attitude that we want to get towards others who are about ourselves. And uh, let, me, let me just say this, too, that the last thing you want to do is be thinking about what others should do. Here's the issue they need to deal with. Listen, you want to get very personal just with you and Jesus, okay? And you, you, you want to allow him and, and, and uh, you want to permit him to, to grow you. Because you, you know what's really strange is that um, when we look at other people, it's obvious what they should do. I mean, it's obvious. You know, when, a, when parents are looking at their kids, it's obvious what our kids should do. But when the kids are looking at their parents, it's obvious what they should do. You know, when you're looking at your boss, it's obvious what he should do. When your boss is looking at the employees, it's obvious what they should do. Work. You know, it's obvious. You know, we look around, it's obvious what... But, but when you're in the mix, when, you know, we lose the clarity by becoming focused on what's obvious that others should do. And we, we don't see clearly what should be obvious as to what we should do. Come on. And, 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 and God starts speaking, and we are under the impression that we know what he's talking about. And, 
you know, you know it's, it's kind of funny because I, you know, I get the opportunity to talk to people about God's stuff all the time. And uh, it's, it's very interesting how many people are under the impression that they already know everything. And that could be hurting you. Because there are some things that it's just, uh, it's, it, would, it would prohibit understanding if you couldn't allow God to talk to you. You know, if God starts speaking to you and you are constantly saying, I know, I know. Well, how about this? When you are talking to someone else and they are constantly saying, I know. Does it just not make you want to shut up? I mean, if you already know, then we don't need to... Why are we talking? Why do you have the problem? What, why is there an issue? Because we don't know. And, 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 and you know, uh, think about it. God's ways are not our ways. True? Okay. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher. Now, that's not, that's not a put down. It's an invitation up. But if God's thoughts are not our thoughts, what, what produces a thought, TJ? Words. So if God's thoughts are not our thoughts, because remember, your end result is tied to your character, which is developed by your habits, and your habits are simply the actions that you perform on a consistent basis, and your actions are the result of your choices, and your choices are determined by your feelings, and your feelings are built by your thoughts, and your thoughts are birthed by words. So if, if God's thoughts aren't our thoughts, there's a possibility, pretty big, that his words are not our words. There, there, now, just hang with me a few minutes tonight, and, 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 and I'm telling you, this has been an amazing week that me and God have had together. And there's, there's, uh, there's a bunch of stuff that I'm supposed to tell you, okay? And it starts right here, that communication with God is pretty important. You need to understand his terminology. Because when you're hearing words, dependent upon your background, your upbringing, your perspective, the things that are influencing you, all of that can change the meaning of words, you know, for example, just, just, just for example, uh, the, the, the word pants, okay, here in America, you know, the word pants, well, it's an outer garment that runs from your waist to your ankles. But in England, it's underwear. So you might not want to say, your mother has really nice pants. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, because that could change everything. You know, here, you know, we... Someone's going fast. We is speed. In the parking lot, we would put a speed bump. But in Danish language, Norwegian, and Swedish, they have a different word for speed. If you saw a sign for a speed bump, this is what you'd see. That's the Swedish version. 
In Danish, it's just fart bump. Okay. In Romania, there is a fish that is commonly eaten, and you might ask someone, what's for dinner? And this is, you know, do you have that picture? Crap. <laughs> Something Shelby truly enjoys. She loves it, but I tend to agree with those who speak Farsi, Hindi, and Urda. Shelby loves snow, but in their language, they don't have snowstorms, they have barf storms. Barf. This detergent will make your clothes like barf. A simple misunderstanding can cause you to get the wrong picture. See, when, you, when God's speaking, and you're picturing one thing, but he's speaking of another thing, and then, see, when expectation collides with reality, the door to disappointment swings open. Mark 4.24 in the Amplified is one of, the, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Mark 4.24, it says, be careful what you're hearing. Be careful what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth you hear determines the, the measure of virtue and knowledge. Virtue is power, okay? Virtue, remember when Jesus said, I felt virtue leave my body. Power. You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they don't understand what they're hearing because they're hearing, you know, through their filter, and, and what it does is it puts you in the position where, where, where you, you, you know, you're, you're, you think you're walking in knowledge, but really you're just guessing. Uh, the, the Luke scripture, um, which is very similar to this one, he, he said, be careful how you listen. See, Mark, be careful what you hear. Be careful how you listen. For to him who has spiritual knowledge will more be given. And from him who does not have spiritual knowledge, even what he thinks, even what he guesses, even what he supposes that he has will be taken from it. See, it's kind of important that we wrap our mind around God's word. That we get hungry to know what he said because no word from God will ever fail. But there's a lot of disappointed believers because they think they know what he said. And see, it's like when the word deliver in Exodus 3.8 when he said, I have come to deliver See, well, then, then pick up your sword, get your breastplate, let, let's strap on those battle shoes, and we're going to war. If God speaks to you and says, I've come to deliver, because that word means to equip you to fight and win. But a lot of us think that what it means is it's time for vacation. If God's going to bring deliverance, then life's going to get easy. No, God's bringing deliverance, which means he's equipped you to fight and win. So now he can lead you into battle knowing that you have what it takes to de destroy and annihilate the power of the enemy. But you can't be thinking that it's time to sit down in the chair and watch some Netflix or something. You know, you got to have an understanding 
that, that, that you know what God's talking about because there has, to be, there has to come insane clarity to what God is calling you to do. See, one of the reasons that a lot of us have, have, have slipped out of the position that God wants us in. See, when, when, when God blesses you, when God blesses us, the, the word bless, see, well, that, he in, in increases our bank account or, or uh, he gives us, uh, uh, you know, uh, warm fuzzies. We, we, we get goosebumps and the hair standing up on our neck and God's blessing me right now. The word bless means to be positioned to win or succeed in any given situation. So when God is blessing you, he's putting you in a position, but it's not, he never puts you in a position just to see what you look like there. There's a purpose for the position. Anything God puts in your hand, there's a purpose for why he's given it to you. And you have to have just incredibly clear communication lest you misunderstand the will of God. Picture Jesus if he didn't really have clear communication with God. Do you think he would have let those guys nail him to a tree if he didn't know that that's where God was leading him? No, if he hadn't had a, some conversation, some revelation, uh, and, and time to, to gear up for that and, and, and to equip, get equipped and get prepared and, okay, here we go. If he hadn't had time for that and somebody showed up and said, okay, we're here to nail you to a tree, he would have said, that is not the will of God for my life. You know, we want God to do amazingly great things in us, then we need to be very clear on what the little things are that God would like us to do for him. I've come to deliver. But there's Canaanites and Perizzites and Hittites and Jebusites and Girgashites and you got to fight the ite. You know, you, you got to go in and, and, and drive that stuff out. You, you got to go to war. It's time to go to war. I said, it's time to go to war. Don't, don't get friendly with the enemy. Don't, don't make peace with the enemy. Don't, don't put the enemy on the payroll. Realize that, no, God, God's about ready to do something in my life. And that when I drive that sucker out, well, all of a sudden there's going to be room. So the reason God wants it out is so that there's room for something he's bringing. Oh, my God, somebody. Listen, the reason God wants that thing out of your life is because he's about ready to put something in your life that you ain't got room for and that will not, you know, live right next door to the thing that you got going on in there. So it's time. And, and here, how, how do these things get so much power over us? How, how does stuff, how, how does greed, how does, how does uh, uh, all of these things, how, how do they gain so much control over it? Well, the, the, the deal is, is that, uh, you, you know, Ephesians, remember, remember the book of Ephesians? And uh, uh, it says in Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine, where is in excess. 
Uh, I give you Ephesians first. Plop that up there. Check this out. In, in the Living Bible, don't drink too much wine, for many evils lie along that path. But be, in, but be filled instead with the Holy Spirit and controlled by Him. Now, 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 don't just limit your thought to not get open-minded, right? Get, get open-minded, but don't limit your thought to, well, okay, I, you know, now he's going to preach against wine. No, no, no. Listen to me. Don't live under the influence of anything other than the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be controlled. And, and here's the deal, is that the reason these other forces have so much effect on us and it's so difficult to deal with them is because they're so intoxicating. It, it, they have influence over the direction of our life because they're intoxicating. We like the effect that certain things have in our life. And we grow not only accustomed, but we become needy for more of that. And we live under the see, see if, if you stop and if you stop someone and talk to someone who's under the influence, he you can tell again it's obvious what he should do. Especially, you know, if you see a guy that's going down a one-way street the wrong direction. He doesn't know he's going the wrong way in somebody else's car. Why? Because he's under the influence. And you can't, you know, it's really, it's really hard to convince him. Uh, you know, while he's under that influence, it's hard to convince him about what realities are. Because he, and please, don't be thinking about people you know. Realize that you and I, there's areas in our life that God wants to equip us to fight and win, but we have to recognize that there are forces that have influenced us. We are under their influence, and and many, many times we like it. And as God's getting ready to to bring increase and and stretch the borders out, you got to understand something, that you could be in the wrong chair and not be aware of it if you were under the influence. I'm not, I'm not attempting to make this an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Uh, and the way some of you are looking at me, I'm, I, I, you know, it's like I'm getting really close to something that you hold dear. Uh, <laughs> uh, but there are things in your life that you don't want influencing you, unless you end up in the wrong chair. Watch the screen, we've got a little video clip. glad you have friends. <laughs> See, under the influence, you could be in the wrong chair. 
Hello, somebody. I said, under the influence, you could wind up in the wrong chair and be in for quite a ride. And what you want to do is realize that, okay, there's a strategy that works well on mankind. Introduce the wrong influences, and they'll live under that power. Well, it's, it's, it doesn't always, it doesn't start off crazy and out of control. No, it gets there. And, and what happens is that there's things in our life that were intended for a purpose, but because we are under the influence of them, we don't use them for the purpose that they were intended for, which is where we get the word abuse, is we begin to abuse certain things. Abuse is two words put together to make one word, abnormal use. When you use, the use of a thing for any purpose other than the purpose for which the thing was created is abnormal use. And you end up to abuse it. And the reason we got to get our head wrapped around this is because God's wanting to introduce some things into your life at a measure that's greater than you've ever known. But he needs you to have clarity in purpose lest you abuse the thing that he's about to put in your hand. See, why? Because uh, we have an addictive personality. Look at somebody and tell them, I think some of our personalities are addictive. One of the things that I believe that God wants to pour out in this place and on, on, on us as his people, power. I believe that God wants to increase power in your life. But I got to tell you something about power. Power is addictive. Power is addictive. And what happens is that when you have something that you like, and then God speaks to you to do something that you might not feel comfortable doing with the thing that you like, you will have a tendency to reject what he wants to protect what he's given you. It's easy to get to a place where we will reject the will of God to protect the blessing of God, which forces us to take on the role of God. See, the, God begins to position you, to empower you. But you, then he asks you to use that power in a way that, well, if I do that, I'm going to lose it. And if I lose it, let's talk about power for a minute. Everybody has power. Everybody has power. Men, you have power in your home. God-given power, you have power. Ladies, you have power in your home. You know, think about it. moms and dads, you have power over your children. But the kids have power in that house teacher has power over his students, but the students have power over that school. You know, you're a citizen with the right to vote. You have power. You, you have power. 
how would God intend for us to use that power? Remember in, in, in a, a Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus is speaking and he says, all power is given unto me. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. Everybody say all power. All power. Say it really loud. All power. all power. I want you to focus on these four words. All power is given. No, you don't have to say it. Just focus. You don't have to repeat everything I say the rest of the night. Don't let me I tell you to. <laughs> I have power. I have power. All power is given, which there's, a, there's, a, there's the other side of that coin. All power can be taken. But all power is given. If you have power, let me tell you something. It's been given to you. And once you get it, you know, well, we, we, we tend to start thinking of what we have to do to protect it. Because I can't lose my power. If I lose my power, I'll, I'm going to be powerless. Not like power. I'm addicted to power. I need more power. And so you start trying to position yourself to get as much power as you could possibly get. But as God is going to, you know, I truly believe that God's desire is to increase power in many, many areas of your life. But you better understand the purpose of the power that God's giving you. Jesus had received all power in heaven and in earth. All power. But yet, you know, I got to tell you something. If I had all power in heaven and earth, and you said, well, let's nail you to a cross, it ain't happening. Why? Because I got power. You, you know, there has to be, you know, think about it. it, it it's, it, it's the emblem that, that stands to, to, as a testament of the power of God. An empty tomb. That's power. But the other emblem, a cross, that's humility. And when you will marry humility with power, God can do amazing things. In uh, John chapter 13, we're just going to start, we're, we're going to read through several verses here, but start, just start at verse 1. It was before the Passover. The Passover's been happening for a long time. Everybody's getting together for the Passover. Jesus is just about ready to mess up the Passover and change everything about it. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own uh, who were in the world, he loved them right up to the very end. His love for them was not fading, but it was on the increase. Look, look at verse 2. And, and, and the evening meal was in progress. And what, what they were doing, what they were, what they were doing is, is, you know, hey, this is part of the deal, but this is a pretty, you, you know, they, these guys have stepped it up because they've rented a special room and, and uh, there's, there's a table and there's going to be a tablecloth and there's going to be, you know, what we would call waiters. There's going to be a servant there and, and this is going to be a big deal. And, and the, the meal is in progress and the devil already prompted Judas uh, to betray Jesus. Look at verse 3. I, I really like verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Everything is under his power. Everything, man. He's got a revelation. He has some insight. He, he, he has clarity in communication with the Father. 
He knows what's up. Let's just keep reading for a minute. And, uh, uh, and he got up. Uh, Jesus knew that he had power and that he had come from God. Verse, go ahead. Next verse, verse 4. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing. Uh, uh, here, here's the deal. Just get this picture. They're, they're in this big room. And, uh, uh, and Jesus, I, I don't know. We don't have a record of where the servant's at. But G I think Jesus showed up early, gave him a tip, and said, I, I got this. Jesus comes walking in, he's got that robe on. You know, and, and uh, have you ever wondered why they cast lots for Jesus' robe? You know, most clothing was sewn together with strips of fabric, but, but this robe, it was seamless. This was one radical robe. Okay, if you've ever looked at some televangelist and thought, oh, I can't believe how much money he spent on that suit, you have no idea the value of the robe that Jesus was wearing. In their culture, it was a sign of authority. He was known as a rabbi and a teacher. It had the tassels on it. It had things woven into it. It was one amazing article of clothing, and it was of insane value. They valued his robe more than they valued his life. And he gets up, and he takes that sign of authority off, and he lays it aside. And he goes over and he picks up the towel that the servant would have used and he wraps it around his own waist. Now, Jesus is the guy in the room with all the power. He's the smartest guy in the room. He's the most powerful guy in the room. And he gets up and he takes that outward sign of authority off and he wraps that towel around his waist and he starts washing the feet of the guys who are with him. And what he's doing, just to save time, you got to read all of this stuff, okay? You just got to read these verses and just read the story. But, to, but, but what he's doing is he's setting an example for them. And it ain't about, you know, or, you know, it ain't about having a foot washing service, which wouldn't hurt any of us. But it's not about, you know, digging around and finding, you know, little, little rocks between your toes and cleaning that. That's not what it's about. But what it's about is he's showing them something. that This is the guy that has all the power. And, he know, and he's telling them, he's telling them, man, here's what you do with the power that is given to you. You don't use it to elevate yourself, but you use it to elevate everybody else in the room. And I'm going to elevate the status of everybody else in the room. That's what Jesus is doing. And, and, and he's washing their feet, and there's even some kickback. You know, when Peter says, man, you, you know, you ain't washing my feet. And Jesus says, hey, if I don't, you don't have any part with me. And, and Judas said, well, then wash my whole body and my hair too. And Jesus said, you should have done that on your own. But anyways, he, he just keeps moving on. And, and, he, and look at verse, uh, let's go to verse like 12. When he had finished washing their fate, he put his clothes back on and returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? Making sure, because, you know, hey, he's on his way to the cross. And he, we, we got just a little bit of time left. And there's something I got to tell you, because you are about ready to be recipients of a level of power that you ain't never known nothing like it. Do you understand what I've done for you? Look, look, look at verse 13. You call me teacher. You call me Lord. 
and rightly so. That's what I am. 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. When you get power, use it to elevate the status of others, not to elevate yourself, but to elevate the status for others. Look at verse 16. For verily I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Hey, you know, a lot of times, you know, there are verses that we use, and sometimes we use them totally out of context. And, and, and this one, you know, is, is, you know, quite often misunderstood because, we, uh, you know, no servant is greater than his master. And we kind of use that, you know, uh, like with people who work for us. You're not greater than me. You know, I'm teaching you some stuff, and the, and, and the student is not greater than the teacher. The messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Remember your rule. That's, that's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is, remember I took off my authority and I used my power to elevate the status of everyone else and I, ser- I became the servant. I'm the guy with all the power and I became the servant. So when you refuse to serve others, you're saying that's fine for you, Jesus, but I'm higher than that. I'm better than that. I don't, I don't go to that level. Because, you know, you know who I am. You know who you're talking to. Where does that attitude come from? And, and you got you to gotta mark this in your mind and just think about it. Because those dudes sitting in that room, with the exception of Judas, who's already screwed up. It said that already. Remember? Supper's underway. Judas is already prepared to betray. But the rest of those guys in that room, I mean, think about that. You have, you, you have to understand, these guys are rock star status individuals. They are very, very popular to this point. I mean, you go to the Holy Land today, and, and they still, everything's about Peter. I'm serious. But yet, every one of those guys who had great following, great status, you know, they were insanely popular, that every one of them died a martyr's death. Not one of them. There's no record of any one of them having an issue with arrogance. How did they break free? I mean, we're talking about, you don't understand how powerful power is. George Washington was a president twice, two terms. And it was at the early stages of our country, and he was such a strong man and a wise man and a great leader. And, 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 and you know, and the rules were set, and, and, you know, you only get two terms, right? And, but there was a movement to title him the emperor and, and call this thing a new empire. 
And there was a radical movement because they didn't want, you know what, already, uh, uh, you know, what we call the United States of America, at that early age, it had surpassed in size and in economic strength. It had already passed England. And they said, we're going to make this dude an emperor. And, and they made the offer. And it was a legit offer. And when the king of England heard about this offer, and he had heard that, that George Washington had, the, the rumor mill was, was talking, and they said, George Washington is going to decline the offer. And the king of England, who understood the intoxication of, of power and the intoxicating you know, influence that it had. And he, he wasn't a guy who was elected by the people and raised up because of their heart and love for him. He was a guy who was a king because his daddy was a king, and now he's the king, and he has seen the, 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 you know, the radical influence that power has on others. And he made this statement, and you go check it out later. It's, in, it's recorded in several books, but he made this statement, uh, you know, uh, about George Washington. He said, if the rumor is true, and if he is able to decline the invitation and not accept the, the, the position of emperor over that empire, then he is by far the greatest man on earth. Because power is intoxicating. See, the enemy knows that if God empowers us, he's toast. What's the enemy going to do about the will of God? What is the enemy going to do about the will of God for your life? How... how does a defeated devil mess up the will of God for you, my friend? He can't touch the will of God. That's the will of God. So as God begins to empower you, to position you, the enemy uses your addictive personality to cause you to be afraid to use what God's given you for the purpose that he's given to you under the mindset that if you use what God's given you for the purpose which it was given that you will lose as you use according to the will of God. So you begin to reject the will of God to protect the blessing of God and you take on the role of God. Well, if I use my power to elevate the status of others, they're going to take advantage of me. They're not bigger than God. You know, think about this. You know, uh, well, trying to decide how, you know, because it's already 12 after 7. If I use my money for the will of God, then I won't have money for what I want. So I will decide 
that what God was talking about isn't what he's talking about, but it's what I'm, I, I suppose this is what he meant. Or, or can, can we connect to that one? Because money, let me tell you something about money. Money's powerful. Uh, I'll just throw this out there and you can chew on it, that if God's going to give you power, he could give you money. Because money is powerful. He could increase your financial strength. But see, if you won't use the financial strength you currently have for the purpose for which God gave it to you, then he knows he can't increase your financial strength for the purpose that he's going to use you for because you won't do his purpose. You will reject his will to protect the blessing so that you now have to act like God. Where were we? Verse 13. Let's just read on for a minute. So I'm at 16. Now I'll tell you, the servant's not greater than the master. The message, that one, okay, good. Now that you know this, you will be blessed if you do You got a couple more minutes? You doing okay? You're very, very quiet. Um, I just want to share this with you, and then, we're, then, then we'll wrap up for tonight. Okay? <laughs> See, we, we think we know stuff. But what if we're wrong? You know, I went around this week, and I, I, I set people up. I ask them questions, and, and, they, and most of them are smart and say, I don't want to answer, just tell me. Because, <laughs> you know, I've done it too, too many times, okay? But I've forced them. Because, you know, people, sometimes they use words, and they don't know what it means. I mean, people are all, always looking at me saying hi, and I say, nope, just happy. Because <laughs> I'm a stickler on words. I like words. I like words. It's kind of funny, because people will say you know, I'll ask them, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Beautiful. And they usually say, thank you. I'm thinking, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> Anyways. I asked this question. According to the Bible, pride comes before a? Nope. According to the Bible, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride comes before destruction. Okay, destruction, it's really important that you understand what destruction is. Destruction is to reduce to a useless fragment, a useless form by rending, burning, or dissolving, to ruin, demolish, annihilate, extinguish, put to an end, to render ineffective, useless, nullify, neutralize, invalidate, to defeat completely. So pride comes before a complete defeat. Pride comes... And it is as if something is dissolved. You ever looked at the word, this, this is just me, you ever look at the word dissolve? Dissolve. 
solve, a solution. The prefix dis is to push or press out of. So pride will cause you to slide out of the solution that God positioned you in. Well, that nasty pride spirit, we're going to deal with it. So then I went around asking, what's pride? Just tell me. (laughs) Pride is an over-exaggerated focus on self. Most of us are very one-sided when we define pride. We think it's a haughty spirit. To think more highly of yourself. Nine out of ten responders answered with this. To think more highly of yourself. I can't do that. I can't afford that. I'm not strong enough for that. That's still a focus on self. What am I doing wrong? Focusing on you. See, God's going to lead you into battles you can't win. He's going to lead you into problems you can't solve. He's going to lead you into situations you can't afford. He don't want you looking at you because guess what? He already knows about you. That you without him sucketh. What he wants to know is if he were to do his will through you, would you align with it or away from it? Would you embrace it or reject it? Would you use power for the purpose in which he had released it, or would you try to contain it lest you lose it? Because there's got to be a little something going through the mind of a guy who's the most powerful dude in the room when he takes off his authority and grabs the servant's towel and says, sit down, guys. I'm going to wash your feet. It's got to be a little trigger, a little fear thought, a little, a little, you know, just just a little seed of doubt that says, you know, they're never going to look at you the same again. That's the point. We don't want them looking at us at all. Will you use the power that God's bringing to your life? Let me tell you something. As a Christ follower, there's no option. As a Christ, there's no option. You're not better than Jesus. You're not better than him. And if he asks for everything you've got, realize that he has already given everything he had. I wish I had more time. There's some really good stuff. But there's always next week. Okay? Because you've got to wrap your brain around this lest you go home with your pants in an uproar. 
Some of you will get that tomorrow. <laughs> See, we got to have clear communication with God. We got we to know what he's saying to us. We got to know what he's saying to us. We got to stop aligning what he's attempting to lead us into with who we are or who we're not. With what we got or with what we don't have. With what we can do or what we're not able to accomplish. Because God's plan is bigger than you and me. It's his plan. It's his purpose for your life. See, what you have to do is marry that power with humility. See, it's, it's, not, it's not us, it's not me, it's not you, but it is God who's working in us to accomplish great things for his purpose. See, all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called to his purpose. Not what we guessed it was, not what we thought it was, not what we suppose it was, but to his purpose. In closing, I just want to I just want to drop this in your lap that God wants incredible clarity in his communication with you. But the first thing you're going to have to be able and willing to do is take off that outer wear that you hide behind. Take on the role. If, well, if we're going to be a wholehearted servant, I guess we're going to have to serve. I guess it just comes to that. Will you serve him? Will you let him behind the, the facade? Whether you're thinking you're weak or you're thinking you're strong, pride's pride, that stuff comes to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have and enjoy real life. Remember that Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't, he didn't look at his equality with God as something to be grasped and held on to. He wasn't tight-fisted with his position, but he was open-handed. And he was obedient, the Bible says, even unto death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. See, the enemy, I'm telling you, was screaming at him, you're going to lose your position, man. You get down there on your knees and you start washing those feet, you're going to lose the power. That, that, no, no. God exalted him, and that's what God's wanting to do. He's wanting to empower you. So you have to be willing to say, you know what? I, I'll just uh, humble myself. I want, you, I want you to close your eyes and, and close the book and bow your head. And Father, tonight we just humble ourselves before you. We rivet our attention onto you and to you alone. And God, help us be a people who press to understand your will in everything that we do. And the areas where 
We've already become under the influence of power. We're afraid of losing that. God, we just open our eyes so that we can deal with those things. If all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, there's people here tonight, and, and you know what it's time to do? It's, it's time to recognize that God is wanting to move and, and live and have his being in you. And he wants, to, he, he, wants, uh, he, he wants to bring real life to you. And the first step is making sure that, that you've humbled yourself in, in his presence and that you've accepted the gift of life that he offers through relationship with Jesus. So we're all going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray it together. We're not going to call anybody out. won't have anybody stand. But if you're in this room tonight and say, you know what? I need to take that step. I, I, and and, and maybe, maybe the relationship, maybe it used to be there, but it's broken. Maybe you've never had, had it at all. But tonight, you know, man, I need to make this thing personal. I, I'm going to get real with God because I need God to get real with me. If that's you and you're going to make this prayer personal while no one's looking, just hold your hand up real high so I can agree with you in prayer. Say, Tom, tonight, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm getting real with God. I'm getting real with God. You can put them down. Anybody else just say, yes, this is going to be my prayer. I'm praying this, and I'm giving my life to Jesus, and I'm, I know I'm never going to be the same again. I want everybody in this room to pray this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know I need you. I need your love, your acceptance, and your forgiveness. Come into my life and change me from the inside out. Give me strength. Give me vision. Give me hope. I choose to live for you and you alone. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Come on, let's give God a big shout and praise.